0: Good day, Circle Drive Church. Welcome to our guests listening online. This is an unprecedented time in our world. As we hear the news each day, there's a collective sense of fear and anxiety. Historically, the church has always rallied in times of suffering and challenge to offer hope and peace to a world that feels anxiety, fear, and worry. Our church is praying that we will seize this opportunity to offer hope and peace and love. And so, may you take courage from the words of the Apostle Paul when he said this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our staff gather each Monday to have a Zoom prayer meeting. We are praying for you at this time. I feel energized every time we gather for prayer. Check out our prayer line on our screen now because our prayer team is ready to pray for you. Some of our circle groups are making use of Zoom to stay connected. In this time of social distance, we don't want you to feel isolation. And parents, This is new territory for you, too, with the school closings. Please make use of our kids' resources online as well. Our team led us in the song this morning that affirmed we were lost without hope, with no place to begin. Your love made a way for mercy to come in. When death was arrested and my life began. What a great song of affirmation. Well, today is Resurrection Sunday, and I want to talk to you about why Christians believe in the resurrection. It was uh, not really Jesus' teaching or his miracles or tricks, depending on how you interpret them. It was the resurrection that convinced people and is convincing ever since. To be clear, We do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible tells us so. It is way, way better than that and more substantial. We believe the resurrection because first century eyewitness accounts, like Matthew, documented the life and resurrection of Jesus. And we believe because a Greek named Mark, a friend of Peter, got Peter's story out of Peter and concluded in the first century that Peter was telling the truth and Jesus actually rose from the dead. And we believe because a Greek doctor named Luke traveled around the area of Judea with the Apostle Paul and came to the conclusion that he had met enough people who saw the resurrected Jesus. Luke wrote the account in the Gospel of Luke And he writes what he calls an orderly account of the events that took place. And we believe because Peter and the two letters he left in the first century church declared Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And we believe Jesus rose from the dead because James, the brother of Jesus, concluded his brother was God. We often ask the question around here. What would your brother have to do to convince you he was God? Growing up, James did not believe Jesus was God. And when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, he was unimpressed with his message or his tricks. But James shows up as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and was later stoned to death because he would not succumb to the traditional religion. James insists that his brother was crucified and rose from the dead and was, in fact, God. And then we believe because the Apostle Paul stepped onto the pages of history as someone who is committed to doing away with the church and later became convinced Jesus actually rose from the dead. In addition to his personal revelation— He spent time with Peter, and Andrew, and James, and John, and James, the brother of Jesus. We believe also because the Apostle Paul stepped onto the pages of history as someone who is committed to doing away with the church. And later, he became convinced Jesus actually rose from the dead. In addition to his personal revelation, he spent time with Peter and Andrew, James and John, and then James, the brother of Jesus. And then we believe because of John's witness. John witnesses both the crucifixion and the resurrection. Well, John expected a Messiah to be a king. Like all the disciples, he was an, in, an unbeliever, rather, after Jesus was killed on the cross. And then He saw Jesus alive after and became a believer all over again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These extraordinarily brave men documented what they saw, what they heard, and what they heard from other witnesses who had seen the resurrected Jesus. These documents were collected and protected, and many years later, they were compiled and put into a volume we call the Bible. Long before there was a Bible, there were men who were witnesses of and friends of witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. The story of Jesus was not worth telling apart from the resurrection. And that is why you should take this account so seriously. They write themselves into the story, not as heroes, but as doubters. They expected Jesus to stay dead. They were not around the grave counting down Easter morning, 10, 9, 8. In fact, nobody was around the tomb because those devoted to Jesus thought they had been fooled. He was not who they, he claimed to be. He was not the Messiah. They waited hundreds of years and then put to death. John writes of the disappointing moment in John 19, verses 16 to 18. It says, finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place called the Skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. And verse 18 says, then they crucified him. So no details are given around this text because they're not necessary. Everyone who heard the story of the first and second century had seen a crucifixion or the aftermath of a crucifixion living in Rome. And with him, it says, two others, one on each side of Jesus in the middle. John was there when Jesus said, it is finished. He watched Jesus hang his head and die. And then John writes something that you might just pass by without understanding the significance. He reflects and then makes this statement, not for his immediate audience, but for future generations. He writes it for you and me. John 19, verse 35. It says, the man who saw it, in other words, I saw this. I didn't hear about it. I didn't read about it. I saw it and has given testimony, and this testimony is true. He's saying, I'm swearing an affidavit. This is exactly how it happened. This testimony, he says, is true. He knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies so that, and it's like he's he's at this point and John reaches throughout the ages and then just grabs each of us by the shoulders and looks us in the eyes. And he says, my testimony is true. And I testify so that you also like me, the eyewitness, even though you were not there, You may also believe. To which we say, Well, that's easy, John. So far, so good. We have a wannabe Messiah that gets executed by Rome. To which John would say, No, 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 no. It's it 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 happened. Look what happened next. I was there for the next part, and I saw it all. And in John 19, verse 38, it begins, later. Joseph of uh, Arimathea, there's so much detail here with specific names. He asked Pilate for the body. Why? Because you couldn't bury a crucified body unless you had to bribe someone. The centurion, or in this case, Pilate. And it says, now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. And verse 39 says, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds. This mixture was common in that day for the purpose of embalming a dead body. Why? Because these men expected Jesus to do what all dead men always do. They stay dead. So verse 40 says, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance to the Jewish burial customs. So this was John's way of remembering, oh, yeah, there'll be people who read this in the future who will not be Jewish and need to know our customs. So in verse 41, he says, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in that garden, a new tomb, which no one had been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This was a way of saying they were in a hurry. The sun was about to set. And once the sun sets, the Sabbath begins, and none of his work would be lawful or legal. So they hurried to prepare Jesus' body for burial. They put him in the tomb, and then the slaves rolled the stone in front of it. They all left. John, along with Peter, and perhaps some others, but for sure John and Peter, disappear into the city as well. Uh, We don't know what they did that night, but I surmise what they talked about all night. They probably discussed how the last three years of their life was a waste of time. We don't know what they did on the Saturday night, or all day Saturday. Then John tells us in John chapter 20 verse 1, early on the first day of the week, when it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, assuming that the disciples were asleep, they were awakened by the banging of the door. And at first they thought, maybe this was the Roman soldiers. And then they came out of their fog and concluded, no, the Roman soldiers would just kick the door in and come in. So they went to the door, they opened the door and Mary Magdalene is standing there and she's sobbing. So they barely understand her. And Mary said, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So, here, Mary is not assuming resurrection. Her natural instincts are someone stole the body. So, John writes that while they have been hiding all night and all day, now they felt an urgency. So, verse 3 says So, Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran, John, uh, outran Peter rather, and reached the tomb first. Verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there. And I'll be honest here, but I did not go in. So why didn't he go in? Well, it was dark. And he's confused, as all of Jesus' followers were on the first Easter morning. Then his friend friend Peter caught up, and it says in verse 6, Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Now, John records they saw the strangest thing. They did not expect to see it. Because when someone steals the body, they take the body and they take everything with it. It says, he saw the strips of linen lying there. In verse 7, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth had been lying in its place separate from the linen. So this is John's way of saying, this wasn't a mess or a rush job. Thieves would not take time to do, to disembalm the body. Then John musters the courage to go inside. And verse 8 says, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and he believed. In that moment, it dawned on John that we don't know where Jesus is, but clearly he has risen from the dead. He said, I saw him crucified. I saw him die. I saw him embalmed. I saw him buried. And now he's risen, and everything lines up for John. Then Peter and John and others would eventually see Jesus alive from the dead and have conversations. In fact, Jesus appeared to all the disciples at once at their circle group meeting. And then John gives detail of Jesus' first encounter with Thomas. So uh, chapter 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So he wasn't there the first time when Jesus appeared to the the other 10. In verse 25, it says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And I'm sure Thomas, you know, he heard of other sightings of Jesus in the area as the news was circulating through the region. But Thomas felt like he had just spent three years of his life chasing a false messiah. And he's not going to spend the rest of his life chasing a ghost. And so he says, but he said unto them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So he's saying, you know, guys, I like being with you. I like spending time and hanging out. But I'm not going to spend the rest of my life talking about a dead man. And who could blame him? Who would want to do that with their life? So verse 26, it says this. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with him. And John is saying, I know this is odd. But this is what happened. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Well, of course, Jesus would say that because it'd be like us if we were in a locked room. We'd be scared to death if somebody showed up. Then Jesus looks over at Thomas, and in verse 27, he says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. So verse 28 says, Thomas said to him, my Lord, and my God. Thomas, Jesus is looking at Thomas and saying, Thomas, Thomas. I understand why you did not believe and why you doubted. Thomas, you were like the rest of them because they all doubted and they did not believe. So don't let them give you a nickname like Doubting Thomas because they too were doubters. Bill Buckner played 22 seasons of Major League Baseball. He was an all-star. He won a batting title in 1980 and in 1986 played for the Boston Red Sox who were looking for their first World Series title since 1918. He carried, into, uh, uh, he carried a 5-3 lead into the bottom of the 10th inning in game six against the New York Mets. New York tied the game and brought Mookie Wilson to the plate. Mookie hit the ball that looked like it would be an easy play for Buckner, but the ball went through his legs and made one of baseball's most shocking moments. Buckner missed a simple play, and as a result, Boston lost the game and eventually lost the World Series. The fans turned against Buckner, even though he had a record breaking statistics in his career. That mistake followed him even into his obituary. Bill didn't let him define him. Bill continued to play the game even though the fans tagged him with that one bad mistake. Buckner finished out his career not letting that one mistake define him. He played his best. And as a result, he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. More importantly, Buckner's obituary stated this, Bill is safe in the arms of Jesus. Listen, Jesus was saying to Thomas, don't let your failure define you. Let it refine you. Thomas was the one who carried the good news of Jesus Christ to India. Today, Christian parents in India named their sons Thomas because he went further than any of the other disciples. And I say to you today, friends, don't let a divorce define you, a financial setback, the loss of a job. Let those things refine you and believe in the resurrection power of Jesus today. Jesus. a purpose and a plan for your life. He gives you hope even when there is fear all around us in our world today. Now get ready for this. At this moment, Jesus leaves his immediate context and looks through the ages, and he looks at you, and he looks at me, and Jesus, knowing this story would be told for generations, and with you in mind, And with the group gathered that day, he says in verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen me yet believe. John closes out the account with an invitation. And John would say, look, I just want you to believe. And I want you to trust in and believe my testimony is true. And then I want you to go one more step and believe. And here's how John frames it in verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs that, which are not recorded in this book. In essence, John selected some of the events of Jesus and ordered them in such a way that you could believe. Then verse 31 says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you may have life in his name. That was Jesus' invitation to John, and now John's invitation to all that are watching today. The Heavenly Father's invitation to all of us And the hope of Easter is that it would become personal for you. And by believing, you would have life in Jesus' name. Could I invite you, if you have never invited Christ into into your life, to give you hope, would you pray this prayer with me? Thank you that you came out of the grave alive and you appeared to so many. Giving us confidence in the witness to your resurrection. Today, I ex- express my belief in you as God, who is present and offering life in your name. And I receive that life. Show me your way as I follow you. Give me your peace in these troubled times. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you message me today? And if you have questions about God and life and purpose and would like to hold an online discussion, would you register today for Alpha Online? We would love to keep the conversation going and online provides us a space to do that. Bring your questions and register today. Now we present a song of hope called Only King Forever.